This podcast is created for farmers and powered by Pioneer Agronomy to bring you agronomic insights and proven solutions to fuel forward-thinking farming. It's the week of October 26, 2020, and you're listening to the Missouri Pioneer Agronomy Podcast. I'm your co-host, Pioneer Field Agronomist Jamie Farmer, and with me as always is my counterpart to the east, Nick Monning. So welcome back, listeners. Welcome back, Nick. How's things going out there? Not bad at all, Jamie. We made quite a run on harvest uh, after, as you mentioned earlier, things looked like they were going to stay wet forever, and then all of a sudden the weather broke and probably had 30 days straight almost of harvest weather. So uh, the last of the leg's going to be a little slower, but we got a good chunk knocked out. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. We uh, we definitely could have used some breaks in there maybe for some folks. Uh, now Mother Nature's giving us that with the with the wrench she's throwing in our plans with some snow and stuff. Coming down today as we record here outside of Pilot Grove and Boonville. So first off, just a couple of topics we thought we'd jump into this week. Um, one of them being the 2021 Soybean Herbicide Technology Outlook. So some of the options that we're considering in soybeans for 2021. And then also uh, get into you know how management, different management strategies paid in this 2020 crop. So when it comes to the uh, 2021 soybean herbicide technology piece, we got several options out there, Nick. So we've got E3, obviously hearing a lot of chatter on that out there in the field, uh, folks considering some new E3 varieties for 2021. We still have Liberty Link option out there as well, some very good viable options in that arena, the Roundup Ready to Extend. Also some pretty good contenders in that technology piece. And then with the recent EU approval there for Roundup Ready to Extend Flex. So we have that too. Not to mention a few conventionals out there as well. So like I mentioned, that Roundup Ready to Extend Flex received that approval from the EU this fall. And that basically is that stack of dicamba, glyphosate, and liberty within the same bean. So if you think about that, we've definitely got plenty of options out there, Nick, going in this 2021 season. Yeah, one thing, Jamie, though, is there, we're still sitting here with no label for an in-season dicamba application just yet here on October 26. But everyone seems to be expecting one from the EPA to be released very soon. Uh, there seems to be a lot of folks speculating that there's going to be a label. One question, I guess, will be, though, is how much more restrictive will that new label be if it does happen? Yeah, that's the million-dollar question, right, Nick? So uh, we thought we'd just... Uh, take a venture here and, and look at kind of the two newer options for us. So that being the Enlist E3 stack, as well as the Roundup Ready to Extend Flex option out there. So not going to speculate on what the label might be. We're just going to talk about what we do know today. So uh, how about we just kind of split this off? We'll each kind of jump through some of the points here between the the differences between the two systems. So you know, just a reminder for folks considering that E3, so that's in list one uh, herbicide, which is that 2,4-D choline. Um, then you can also use glyphosate, and you can also use glufosinate or Liberty as an option in that stack as well. Yeah, Jamie, and on the ExtendFlex side of things, for tolerance to herbicides, you're going to have tolerance to dicamba, to glyphosate or Roundup, and then to glufosinate or Liberty. So back to the E3 side. Yeah, so thinking about uh, kind of the restrictions on use for these. So any three, uh, no restricted use uh, language on that label, no extra training necessarily required, mandated by the label for E3. Yeah, Jamie, with dicamba, that is restricted use. And so 
before there was annual training required uh, with the old label. I would assume there'll be something similar with the new if it comes, but that'd just be speculation. Right. So moving on there with the E3, so non-E3 soy beans are not considered a susceptible crop to the E3 system. So you can spray when the wind is blowing towards them, but obviously use sound judgment. If the, if the wind's blowing pretty excessive, not necessarily giving you the open pass to just go all willy-nilly out there. So obviously keeping, keeping things in check and wanting to make sure those wind speeds stay below 15 miles per hour. On the extends flex side of things at least with the old dicamba label jamie you could not spray when the wind was blowing towards a non-roundup predict to extend soybean field so if the wind was blowing towards your neighbor liberty beans uh, you couldn't make that application yeah i think that's just you know us illustrating the key difference between the two systems one has soybean listed as a susceptible crop and the other one does not Moving on down the line here, so thinking about the E3 system and some of the products that you can use in the tank, uh, E3 system does allow the use of AMS and is oftentimes uh, recommended in certain geographies and certain tank mixes. Yeah, with the extend flex side of things, you can never add ammonium sulfate to the tank. That'll never be allowed with dicamba. That AMS makes that dicamba more volatile, keeps it in acid form longer, which makes it more volatile. So that, that mix will never happen. Thinking along the lines of other tank mixes and some of the products that we're using out there in the field to control some of those tough weeds like water hemp, um, you know, we think about Liberty. So in the E3 system, you can tank mix with Liberty. In fact, I recommend it, um, you know, for those two effective mode of action on water hemp. And Jamie, on the other side of the spectrum, the Rounder Pretty to extend flex side, uh, you'll never be able to tank mix those two, Liberty and Dicamba, together in the tank because... AMS is going to make your dicamba more volatile, so it's not allowed, but AMS is needed in great quantities with Liberty, so it's not going to allow those two to be tank mixed together. So again, we're going to be relying on one mode of action against water hemp. Another thing, thinking about flexibility on the E3 side that I'll call out, so it's not necessarily limited or as restrictive on the droplet size, so the, you know not restricted specifically to those coarse droplets, so it allows that Liberty tank mix as well from a, from a droplet standpoint. Yeah, and Jamie, with Dicamba, we're, we're going to have to be with bigger droplets, so we talked a lot about ultra-coarse droplets with that old label, and I'm sure that's where we'll be with the new one. We want bigger droplets for less movement of that product, and something that doesn't work well either with Liberty, it needs finer droplets as well. Yeah, we're always trying to find the right balance with those nozzles of getting the, the correct droplet size, minimize off-target movement, but then also make sure we get good coverage, and that's probably a little easier done in the E3 side. It's thinking about the cutoffs for the E3 system, so you can apply that product through R2, so basically cutting it off right at R3. Yeah, and with Dicamba, the old label cutoff was at R1, and uh, Liberty is that same cutoff, so it's going to be a lot sooner than what you'll see with the Enlist system. Uh, the Extend Flex, it, I mean, in my opinion, just speculating, you're going to see Extend Flex push dicamba is a burn down if they get that label or early post and then push liberty later post or mid-season that's just really going to leave us with one mode of action against water him yeah i think if you think about the the two systems i think honestly the flexibility that enlist offers and also the peace of mind for the applicator being able to use two effective modes of action post 
and having that peace of mind, that's probably a bigger selling point between the two in that department. Still a lot to be known, though. Like we mentioned, we're waiting on a label here to see what uh, what sort of restrictions will be put in place for the 2021 season. Um, so obviously we'll, we'll go into those details once we have them. Jamie, one more thing I might add to that. A lot of conversations I've had this fall is if your current system, if you're currently in Liberty Beans or if you're in Rhino Parity to Extend Beans, that system's currently working for you and we do get a dicamba label if you're on the extent side that you know, maybe for you for 2021 the decision's just to stay with what you know yeah i think that's a good point because you know you think about some of these new beans that are coming out into the market and these new traits there's a lot of unknowns with those um, whereas some folks in that straight liberty link side or the straight roundup ready to extend side they've got some beans they're really happy with they'd like to keep planting on their farm so if, if that system's working from a re- weed control standpoint, the beans are working well for you, you're happy with the yields and performance that you're getting, obviously there's not necessarily some big drastic reason that you need to change what you're doing. Um, and so nice to have all of these options out there. Um, definitely going to need these tools going forward, so also important to make sure that we manage them correctly. So now we thought we'd jump into some of the differences we're seeing out there in the field this season where management obviously in our opinion is definitely paid in 2020 some of the management decisions and those decisions that you know we're noticing most would probably be in the fertility department between p and k some of the fungicide insecticide decisions that folks made the nitrogen decisions and programs that we worked through out there and then also some of the seed treatment advantages that we saw especially on the olivo side so thought we'd kind of jump through those four topics there real quick so with that in mind nick you know thinking about uh, that fertility piece, the P and K, um, definitely seeing some advantages out there with that. What are some of the things you've noticed on your side? Yeah, Jamie, one thing I tell people, the nice thing about our job is we get to see a lot of different ways that people manage the crop and, and do things differently. We get to see new ideas and how they work. And um, one thing, we don't have like a ton of side-by-sides where we weigh all these different trials, but it's really interesting in this role because you can start picking up trends on certain management systems yielding out better than others. And I'd say this year had a lot of management, positive management ROIs this year, and fertility was definitely one of them. In corn, I've got some examples where we put on spring-applied DAP or MAP um, versus areas of the field where we didn't or guys that did not do it. And uh, I will say that where we didn't have that fertility go down this spring that some folks are a little bit disappointed. I saw some differences like 50 bushel yield differences where we put DAP on the spring versus where we didn't. And uh, with the dry August we had, K was really important too for that corn crop. And so I'll just say basic fertility really paid. I guess I'll leave it at that on corn um, along with nitrogen, which I know you'll get into in a minute. Soybeans, I did want to mention overriding theme here where potassium, which we know soybeans are a huge user of potassium, you know, almost 1.4 pounds of potash per bushel. Uh, removal. So they're a huge user, but just seeing some enormous differences with guys that really manage that potassium level where it needs to be with soybean crop versus those that don't, or maybe those guys that are in a two-year build program or a two-year application program where they apply ahead of corn, but not ahead of beans and not factoring in the yield differences that they're getting. Um, I will also tell you with August as dry as it was, a dry August or a dry soil conditions are going to limit potash uptake by that plant and needs that moisture to get into that root system 
August was really dry. It limited uptake. So those guys that had quite a bit left in the soil, that plant was able to uptake what it needed. And those guys that didn't were uh, were left behind. Um, so fertility management, just basic fertility management, Jamie, really paid off in 2020. Um, there were some other things, though, that also paid off over those. Yeah, so like we mentioned, uh, fertility, definitely seeing some advantages out there between timing or you f- you know, putting your P and K out just in front of your corn, like a two-year program, or you doing it in front of each crop, and then you know, seeing that advantage there, where we're putting adequate amount out there in the spring. The next thing that probably comes up the most this time of year is what are we seeing differences wise between a fungicide and insecticide applications, um, whether that's fungicide applications in corn, fungicide insecticide in soybeans, and so definitely seeing some differences out there again this year. Um, thinking about on the corn side of things from the fungicide standpoint, just a kind of running average. And it's like you mentioned, we're not necessarily putting all these side by sides and, and doing, you know, replicated ways and things like this. These are just trends we're seeing out there where we have guys that did part of a field or did a strip here or there or something like that. So on the corn side, from a fungicide standpoint, we're probably landing right now somewhere in that 20s, maybe that mid-20s, with the range of advantage we're seeing out there somewhere between that 15 and 40 bushel advantage range. So definitely seeing some scenarios out there on the corn side from a fungicide standpoint where we where we saw a big ROI. Now thinking about that other crop, soybeans, so fungicide, insecticide, again, something that we see here year over year really start to have a a significant impact or at least a significant ROI, it's averaging somewhere in that range of 10 plus right now Um, with that range being anywhere between eight and as high as 20 on some of the differences we're seeing just from applying that fungicide and insecticide combo out there on some of these soybeans here in Missouri. So, you know, we think about this each year, Nick, we get these conversations every fall and sometimes it seems like we're surprised on what we're seeing from an advantage side of this. So explain explain why maybe we're surprised this year. Yeah, Jamie, I think one thing a lot of times that we, we talk about scouting, you know, we want to scout the crop, which we def, most definitely do. Uh, but I know there's a lot of folks that were at tasseling, we're looking at that crop saying, well, there's not much out here just yet. But you got to have a little forethought to what the year looks like could come about. And we were really wet then. We knew there was rain continuing. We knew there was some movement of southern rust to the north. Uh, we just had a disease hellhole uh, in 2020 on corn between southern rust, between northern corn leaf blight, at least in my geography, and gray leaf spot. And it just hammered that corn well after tasseling. But that happens most years. You know, we get three to four weeks past tasseling, and then everything ramps in and jumps all over that crop. And so sometimes you got to think a little bit of foresight of what's the yield potential going to be, what's the year look like, what's moisture outlook. Uh, soybeans, I would say, as similar, or if not even worse, because at R3 you might look at that and not see anything. Most likely you won't. We definitely didn't this year, but we know the secondary stuff's going to come later on at, as we get towards fall, and it really jumps on those beans. And so this year there definitely was a, a big protection to having those the fungicide on the soybeans against that secondary stuff that comes in later. Yeah, and another question we get to this time of year um, would be, are we seeing a difference in, in juice? Or what's the difference on the fungicide? You know, Do I need to be paying for this premium fungicide, or am I getting by just fine on, on the economical uh, generic that's out there? So, you know, 
What do we think in that department, Nick, as far as we share similar observations on what we're seeing out there, or in my opinion, yeah, it pays to pay for the premium. Yeah, Jamie, I think you're spot on. I mean, I think this year kind of showed the difference between the fungicide products, especially on corn and the premium stuff paid this year versus using some generics uh, with Southern Rust, with Northern Corn Leaf Blight, against Gray Leaf Spot, length of residual, all that came into factor this year. And you definitely saw a huge spread with a premium product versus generic. Yeah, I think you're, you're spot on with it was it was a lot more stark of a difference on the corn side than maybe it was on the soybean side. And I, I think this year illustrated it really well. A lot of interesting side-by-sides and some pictures that we have of where, you know, that premium fungicide and linked to residual um, definitely had a more significant impact than maybe what we've seen in years past. Jamie, one thing I'll mention on the soybeans too, just with that fungicide application, we almost always go with an insecticide application with it. If not, we probably should, but I think we got quite a bit of benefit from the insecticide application this year too, especially just seeing the population of stink bugs in fields that were not treated at harvest time. Yeah, that's a good observation. Quite a few stink bugs out there really uh, have probably a bigger impact than what most than what most growers would attribute uh, to that particular pest. So moving on to our third topic here when it comes to this management paid in 2020 uh, kind of theme that we're running with here. So on the nitrogen side, so, you know, again, thinking back, uh, looking back earlier this growing season, quite a bit of rainfall in pockets of Missouri, especially in my area. We had some really heavy rain events week after week, eight, nine inches in some in some areas. So Thinking about our totals between April, you know, from April through June being over 16 inches, you know, Dr. Peter Scarf, University of Missouri has shown that if you get to that threshold and above, you're going to see nitrogen loss. And we definitely saw that in uh, widespread areas across Missouri. So thinking about our programs, thinking about the advantage we saw there, definitely seeing some differences out there this year, aren't we, Nick? Yeah, definitely some huge differences uh, out there. I mean, I've got several examples where we saw huge benefit to a side dress application, some where it was over 100 bushel difference between one versus the other. And I will tell you, too, a lot of the folks that I have that are disappointed on yields, Jamie, would be guys that were fall applied um, anhydrous or guys that uh, were pretty chintzy on their nitrogen program, depending on form, too. Some forms were not as good as others. But pretty chintzy on their program and this year that just didn't work we didn't get a lot of free nitrogen out of that organic matter we lost most of that so we were kind of relying on what we had and if we fall applied we lost a bunch of that and so so guys that side dressed or lush programs were definitely rewarded like i said a lot of you know 50 to 100 plus bushel differences with side dress versus not definitely a big impact in 2020 and something to consider as you know, Mother Nature is now starting to throw a wrench into kind of our fall plans here. As we're getting uh, snow coming down pretty good as we're recording this here today on October 26th. So thinking about that nitrogen program going into the 2021 season, you know, definitely want to think: Did your plan work for you in 2020? Are some things that you maybe need to try to do different going into 2021? I think the flexibility definitely paid for some of those guys out there. And finally here, we'll just kind of wrap with this last topic, uh, talking about some of the seed treatment advantages that we're seeing out there, one in particular being Ilevo. So particularly in my geography of West Central Missouri, there was a stretch there of some really bad SDS pockets out there. 
and uh, definitely could see that driving down the highways in West Central Missouri. Uh, we saw some clear-cut advantages as why we use Ilevo as a seed treatment on our soybeans to protect against that sudden death syndrome. Just some of the data that I've pulled from some of our competitors that had some trials out there. So a 23 location trial out there with the difference between Ilevo and Saltro, a new seed treatment for soybeans out there on the market for this year, showed a 1.8 advantage for Ilevo over Saltro with a 78% win factor. And then where you just compared Ilevo versus your base fungicide insecticide type treatment, we saw 5.1 bushel advantage or an 88% win in that particular study. So, you know, thinking across Missouri, there's a lot of places out there where Ilevo definitely was a clear-cut winner. But another thing that we need to keep in mind, too, in that SDS front, there's definitely a difference in the resistance level in those soybeans, too. So where we see some of these newer things coming onto the market that maybe haven't been tested as well, uh, growers that were using those out there in West Central Missouri definitely noticed that there was a, a disadvantage with some of those genetics that are coming to the market between particular varieties. So keeping that in mind, think about those even years. So 2022, come back around to those fields in your rotation with soybeans. Let's think about some of the products that we can use. Ilevo's proven itself again this year, and then also making sure we pick a good SDS-resistant variety. You know, where we've got some folks out there that maybe didn't use uh, superior seed treatment for SDS or had some inferior genetics when it came to SDS resistance, you know, seeing some field average differences right across the road or across the fence for some guys, where, you know, we're in the 40 range where SDS definitely had a big impact. And, you know, guys right across the right across the fence row seeing that 60, 70 field average range. So definitely cost some guys with the SDS, at least in West Central Missouri, Nick. Yeah, Jamie, I think you hit on a lot of really good points, which the first one being you need to start with good genetics, number one. I mean, that's the best source of SDS resistance. But then you also can help that out, and we, we've done trials in the past where we've proved that even something with really good SDS can get help from Olivo. But, you know, I've got several side-by-sides across my geography, Jamie, just uh, where we've looked at some differences. Guy had Olivo-treated soybeans, ran the same variety just to finish up without, and a lot of 10-plus bushel differences. So this year, we saw that SDS start to show up there in August, and then we turn off dry, and it kind of held there, I, I guess you'd call it. But we're still seeing advantages to Olivo even in that situation. And I guess the last thing I'd leave you with, and I left a lot of people with this summer just talking to them about SDSC treatments, just to understand what you're getting. You know, right now, Olivo's the one proven one in the industry. Uh, there's a lot of talk around Sultro and uh, – We'll see how all that data pans out. It may be a legitimate competitor. We don't know. But I will also say that there's a lot of others that are just kind of products trying to claim SDS control that really don't have it. So I would just tell you to understand what you're getting with your seed treatment. Yeah, that's a good point, Nick. Definitely want to do your due diligence when it comes to, to research and some of the things that are being offered to you. Yeah, Nick, so that kind of wraps up uh, kind of this management paid in 2020 topic. And I, I think this theme is something that, you know, we're not necessarily just here trying to tell you all the things that maybe you did wrong in 2020. We're trying to give you an idea of the things that worked. And uh, I think, you know, you've put it well uh, when it comes to focusing on the things that you can control. There's a lot of uncontrollable in this ag world that we deal with. 
But uh, these these management topics that we just talked about are all things that, that you have uh, definitely some control over as a farmer. And so just wanted to mention these and show you the advantage they had in 2020 where the, where the weather worked out to reward you with those particular uh, management strategies and scenarios. Yeah, I guess I'll just you hit that perfectly, Jamie. And just to wrap that up, I mean, sometimes we get lulled into this idea of saving our way to prosperity in the middle of the summertime, but you know, the good managers are the guys that have everything lined up if the year hits and they capitalize on it. And so, but this, the whole discussion on maximizing ROI uh, factors for 2020 is just to get you thinking a little bit about that for 2021 and beyond. That's right. Always looking for ways to improve. And so with that in mind, um, if you've got any questions on any of this, you can always reach out to your local pioneer sales professional or your local agronomist. Uh, Speaking of that, Nick, if folks can't find us in the field, where should they look? They can find me on Twitter at Nick Monning. I'm at the Jamie Farmer. And if they want to listen to the podcast, Nick, where should they look? Podcast.pioneer.com. That's right. And you can also look anywhere else that you get your podcasts or uh, iTunes, Apple Apple Podcast. Uh, So with that, we thank you for your time. We thank you for listening. We look forward to speaking with you again. Thank you for listening to this episode from the Pioneer Agronomy Team. Be sure to visit pioneer.com backslash podcasts to access additional episodes and learn more about our extensive on-farm data and innovative digital tools that are fueling forward-thinking farming.